our goals. The Alberta government and the Premier Danielle Smith introducing Bill 1 yesterday as part of or following the throne speech. It's the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act would grant Premier Danielle Smith and her cabinet broad powers to rewrite provincial laws behind closed doors to push back against Ottawa. That's the plan. To talk about it all, we're joined this morning by Lori Williams, Assistant Professor in the Department of Economics, Justice and Policy Studies at Mount Royal University. Good morning to you, Lori. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sue. Great to be with you. Let's get right into to it's Danielle promising and delivering it yesterday. Can you break down some of the key points from this Sovereignty Act for us? Well, again, it's, it's, it's saying a lot of the things that Danielle Smith has been talking about for some time. The surprising part is that um, it is promising to be able to um, respond to or, or limit federal encroachment into provincial powers and to do so without consulting with the legislature without getting the approval of the legislature. And and there's just no explanation for why that might be necessary. Um, it, it sort of signals uh, um, a distrust in in the legislature, perhaps in Albertans more, more broadly. It, it basically gives emergency powers to the provincial cabinet um, and and, and yet there's no emergency in place. We saw something similar to this in Bill 10 when, um, you may recall, in 2020, uh, during the pandemic, the Health Act was amended temporarily. The, the Public Health uh, Emergency Powers Amendment Act, very controversial, lots of blowback, libertarian groups challenging it in court and so forth, and it wound up not, not being used and being repealed because of the criticism and the, the negative reaction against it. Um, so this wasn't signaled by Daniel Smith during the campaign. It's a, uh, a surprise, I think, um, not just to, to those who are not expecting this, this sort of legislation or this, this feature of the legislation, uh, but a real surprise to Albertans. Put that together with the fact that this this idea for the Sovereignty Act, as billed even up until this point, was not very well supported amongst Albertans. The majority of Albertans opposed it and were worried about its impact on Alberta. Um, add that to the fact there are questions about the rule of law, about stability in the uh, the economic and political environment, and this has a lot more surprises in it than certainly I was expecting. Could this be viewed, uh, Professor Williams, as the premier kind of daring the federal government specifically prime minister justin trudeau to shoot down her sovereignty act could this be kind of an optical thing to a certain extent well we don't know exactly what's going to happen in practice she's saying she's hoping she doesn't have to use the powers um that she has has authorized in this in this legislation um and it may well be that she is trying to to provoke a reaction, uh, but the reality is, if it were challenged, whether by the federal government or by someone else, whether it were to be, if it were to be challenged in court, um, there's a very good chance that it would be struck down. Was Jason Kenney resigning his seat right after the announcement of this sovereignty act? Was that done on purpose? Do you think? I don't think there's any question about it. It, it uh, I mean, it was ready to go. He tweeted it during the press conference, right afterwards, when Daniel Smith was being grilled. Um, about the the sovereignty act and and essentially um, signaled that he was as as we've heard before that he was opposed to it that he couldn't stand with it and he concluded his his uh, his letter of resignation saying that he was concerned about uh, undermining bedrock institutions and principles in our democracy so no question he has concerns about it um, the 
the assumption that many of us made was being that that five of the people who opposed this this act well four of them actually are in cabinet um i think it's a bit uh surprising that they 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 went along with this um we do i guess understand that that some of the members of the ucp did not support this um It'd be interesting to see who those exactly were, but the um, the the expectation that somehow or another the caucus or the party itself would place limitations on this uh, doesn't seem to have borne fruit. Let's talk about the future, because if you think about it, today's the 30th of November now, less than six months away, May 29th, the provincial election. Does Bill 1, does this Sovereignty Act stick around after the provincial election should the UCP lose? What's the process there if this is instituted and, and UCP doesn't come out on top end of May? Well, I mean, it's, it, legislation is repealed fairly regularly. Um, and if you recall, when Jason Kenney became premier, uh, he promised the summer of repeal, and he went through reversing a number of pieces of legislation that had been and policies that had been introduced um, by the, the by the NDP government. Um, we may not get to the election before this one is repealed because I think the opposition is going to be very significant and promises that it won't be used just raises questions about why it was necessary to enact in the first place. Professor, was there anything else uh, important that came out of the throne speech yesterday or as a result of this Sovereignty Act release? Is there anything else sort of that was uh, important for you or really kind of struck a, a chord for you? Most of the other things that were discussed had been uh, signaled for some time, and I was expecting the throne speech simply to to sort of put finer details uh, around the promises that had been made for the, especially the week or two prior to the, to the, um, the throne speech. Um, so the affordability measures, which I think are welcomed by a number of Albertans, the uh, uh, the money that, that's going to be given to, to Albertans to help them manage uh, the increased cost of inflation, um, the reduction of the of, of taxes at the gasoline station, the um, re- subsidies for for um, or reduction of the utility rates and so forth, you know, all of that good news was completely knocked off the, the agenda um, when this very surprising announcement with respect to the assumption of powers without any justification or indication of why it was necessary to do this uh, came into play. Thanks for your thoughts this morning, Laurie. Thank you, Andy. That is Laurie Williams, Associate Professor in the Department of Economics, Justice and Policy Studies at Mount Royal University. Premier Danielle Smith has pivoted on her plan to amend the Alberta Human Rights Act to protect the rights of unvaccinated Albertans. Instead, the Premier is asking Alberta businesses to reconsider their vaccine mandates. Joining us to talk about it is Luca Serda, who is a senior associate at Samfiro Tumarkin LLP. Good morning to you, Luke. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, Sue. Happy to be here. Uh, do companies have the right to enforce these vaccine mandates if they so choose on their employees? Uh, that's a good question. One for the courts, I'll tell you. And uh, it seems to be going uh, both ways. Um, I, I think as the, the, the vaccine uh, science or has, has evolved, though, it seems less and less likely, in my view, that employers can continue to have vaccine mandates um, just as an example, AHS has, has, has eliminated its vaccine mandates even for new hires back in May, citing the fact that, you know, these vaccines had not uh, really helped uh, uh, prevent the spread of, of, of COVID. 
So we have, you know, pretty drastic changes to employment uh, for some people who are unvaccinated based on, on, on something that actually isn't supported by the science. So less and less these days would I say that if an employer came out with a vaccine mandate today that it would be enforceable. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think that would be the case. All right, let's move things directly into your world, Luke. What are the legal concerns regarding the premier directly going to businesses? You know, uh, basically this message to businesses to reconsider company vaccine mandates. Is there a legal concern there? Uh, well, I mean, basically, I, I don't know if there's there's really an issue there with the, the, the premier picking up picking up the phone and calling uh, to to discuss the science um uh, behind behind the you know whether these vaccines have been effective so uh basically the government throughout the pandemic has been putting out directives and and uh and and uh, you know recommendations on how to proceed with uh, health and safety measures and all of that but um i don't think that you know contacting businesses really creates something new it's just direct directly talking to the businesses how about the legal side of whether the province can legally withhold government support for business, an organization that might still have a vaccine mandate in place? Are they able to do that legally? That, yes, is legal. So basically, uh, the government, you know, basically has power through two ways, which, of course, is writing laws, as everyone knows. And that those laws can always be challenged through the court. And then they have power through their ability to spend. And uh, uh, that is, is much less likely to be reviewed by a court. So that's essentially something that uh, is, is kind of unfettered. Uh, the, the provinces can spend the, their money the way they like. Can we look at any other examples, Luke? Is Alberta a complete standalone, or are there other provinces kind of taking this approach from the top? No, I think this is this is this is Alberta's unique unique thing, as far as I know. I think other provinces are still. Uh, talking about being cautious uh, about that, but uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, Alberta is kind of taking its own claim here uh, in contacting uh, businesses directly and in, and in moving along uh, towards eliminating vaccine mandates and moving past uh, vaccine mandates and moving back in towards a more <laughs> a normal uh, pre-pandemic life. Luke, thanks so much for your time this morning and discussing it with you. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Luke Serda is a senior associate at Samfiru Tamarkin LLP. And it's certainly an interesting topic of discussion. You know, we've had a few texts in this morning. There was lots of talk about this yesterday. Is it sort of, you know, does it just have a bad look when the Premier's ministers are, are calling and saying, hey, you should probably, you know, stop doing that. Don't don't make people get the vaccine. Just like it has a bit of a bad optic to it, doesn't it, it? Well, I mean, if there are strings attached to your business or to a certain industry, if you do not follow and kind of fall in line with what the province is saying, and I would think that, like, let's say I run a metal factory, a sheet metal factory or something, and I built it from the ground up, I would want to call my own shots. Yeah. I would want to make my, yeah. whatever it takes, to either make my workers feel safe or feel like, you know, they have a, a dog in the fight, so to speak. If people don't want to wear masks, for example, or get vaccinated, you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I'd like to make it as comfortable as possible, as little government meddling as possible. And so this one here, if there are strings attached to your business and the success of your business when it comes to the government and through the government eyes, that's when we have an issue as far as I'm concerned. It'll be interesting to see what challenges pop up uh, as a result of, of this and, and what's being done.
He makes us feel alive. During this Financial Literacy Month, we have been talking with Bruce Celery, the CEO of Credit Canada, getting tips and tricks on how to best handle our money and finances. This week, he is breaking down habits. Good, bad, and ugly. Good morning, Bruce Celery. Everything that nearly kills me makes me feel alive. So what are you saying with the first part of that song lyric? That Mostly you led that we need this? help. Mostly that we, we need totally help. need help. Well, that's what you. I have. I am here. Of course. Of course. Okay, give it to us. What are we talking about? Good, bad, and ugly. What, what are habits. We're yeah. talking about habits. How does that work financially? So with your money, you need to stay engaged. It's not a one and done thing. And a part of that is conscious. Like you're going to do these things and doing these things. A bigger part of that is habits that work well for you that are unconscious. So what is a habit? A habit is an acquired behavior pattern regularly followed until it has become almost involuntary. This is how it is for your listeners. They wake up, they get in the car, and they ensure that the dial is tuned to talk 770 mornings <laughs> with Sue and Andy. It's just involuntary. They have no, no choice. They do this with your show. They do this when they cross the street most of the time. Mm. A habit isn't good. It's not bad. There are habits when it comes to your money that either work for you or just don't work for you. So if you think about areas in your life that work well, you've got habits that work. If you want to improve your uh, financial circumstances and your financial behavior, look to habits. But Bruce, you know, a habit of getting up on time to get to work, for example, I know about that. I know the consequences and it's fairly simple <laughs> when it comes to habits surrounding money. What if we just don't have the knowledge to have healthy habits? Yeah. Well, that's a part of it. So so you referenced that I was going to talk about the anatomy of habits. There are three parts to building a habit. And, and as I say, most of our habits are unconscious. Getting uh, to work on time when you, I don't know what time you start, what, 3 a.m. or 4 a.m., that took probably a big change for you if you if you worked you know, at a job that starts at 9 a.m. It's very different to start so early. So it would be motivation, ability, and trigger. Those are the three parts of um, creating a habit. So the motivation is the energy for the action. Are you ready? Do you know your why? Like what's what's your vested interest? The ability is the capacity to take the action. And the trigger is the internal or external prompt. So ready, set, go, motivation, ability, and trigger. And let's think about that when it comes to our personal finances. So maybe the habit is I need to be someone who consistently lives within my means. And there's just times when I'm not that. So what's the motivation? Peace of mind. The motivation is peace of mind. So I want to live within my means because of peace of mind. So what's my ability? Geez, I need to know where my money's going. I need to know what's coming in, what's going out. So I'm going to look very clearly at my cash flow. I'm going to go to creditcanada.com. I'm going to download a spreadsheet. I'm going to fill it in, or I'm going to use an app to track my spending. Uh, and then the trigger is going to be a note that I put in my calendar to update my financial tracking every single day before I go to bed or first thing in the morning. So that's an example of how you can build a habit. It's not some mystical, ephemeral, magical thing. You can actually put your mind to it and change your habit with using that as the design. Is this something then, you talk, mentioned that like you know every day before you go to bed, so it's something we need to do on the daily in order to form a habit? 
Yeah, and and the research would say habits get formed over time. Is it 30 days? Is it 60 days? Uh, certainly there are ways that you can shortcut that by automating things. So uh, I am a huge fan of automating the minimum payment on your credit card. The number one hit on your credit score is a missed payment. Sometimes you miss a payment because you literally don't have the money. Sometimes you miss a payment because you just, you were sick that day or you were on vacation or you weren't paying attention. So. I am a big fan of automating that minimum payment. And if you're concerned, you may not have uh, money in your account, set up overdraft protection so that you're not going to go NSF if that minimum payment crosses and you don't have cash in the bank. But that will help your credit score over time because it means you're just not going to miss a, a minimum payment. And then moreover, you want to be eliminating that credit card debt, which I know we've talked about a thousand million trillion times. But that's one example for how automation can enable your habits. It's interesting now that I think about it because we're putting a cap on Financial Literacy Month with, with you, mm -hmm. Bruce Celery, and, of course, uh, CreditCanada.com, lots of different resources there. I, 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 are, are we setting, I'm not trying to be uh, contrarian or gloom and doom here, are we setting ourselves up for a bit of failure having the Financial Literacy Month in November when we're going to probably mm -hmm. be going over budget in December? Mm -hmm. I would set it in the, I would say, the exact opposite that we are coming to, when do we need to have the tips about not overeating? We need to have those yeah. tips right before we go to the holiday party. Yeah. <laughs> because if we have point. that conversation Basically, yeah. in, you know, March, by the time the holiday party rolls around, I am jamming so much deep fried stuff into my <laughs> face. It would make your head shake, your head spin around. So I think financial literacy month prior to the holidays is really important because there's still time. I mean, yeah, many people have done a good amount of shopping through Black Friday and Cyber Monday, but many people have not yet done it, and there is still time to keep that train on the tracks. Can I ask you a question, and this relates to me personally, but I, I would think mm. a lot of people, because I know for a fact, since I just bought furniture, a lot of people are buying new furniture right now. We're sort of changing our homes around, coming out of the pandemic, and there's an opportunity usually at most stores anyway to pay monthly for your yeah. furniture, etc. Is that a good idea, or... Should you, if you have the money, pay it off all at once? Or what's your kind of philosophy on that? Well, so I think it's a it's a great question, and it's part of a broader theme that we are seeing in what's called buy now, pay later. So you can do that for furniture, you can do that for flights, you can do that for a new blouse at Aritzia. There's a number of different firms offering it. Even the credit card companies are offering it. Here's the problem: it's debt. It's still debt. So what the, the advantage is, is you're not putting it on a credit card. So that couch isn't costing you 25%, but it is costing you more money. And so my concern with buy now, pay later is it muddies your ability to see if you are indeed living within your means. Furniture, I get it. You need a couch. Couches are expensive. My bigger concern is when it's um, discretionary items that mm, maybe you don't really need mm -hmm. and you're not being really, really really honest with yourself to distinguish between what is a need, like I've moved and I literally have no way, no place to park my butt when I watch Netflix, or I want, I want a nice couch. This couch is from when I was a student. It's threadbare. It's got cat hair on it. I want another one. And that's very, very individual for humans to determine what for them is a need and what for them is a want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. it's and, and I earn this money. I should spend it to yeah. it, but maybe I'm not making the best choice. 
experiences. That's why we have you, and we yeah. appreciate your time over the past uh, four weeks, Bruce. Appreciate it and happy. I'm not sure how you celebrate on the 30th. Financial Literacy Month coming to a close. Are you going to get a cake or something? I take a nap. I have a big, big nap. Thank you for the invitation. It, it really is a, a privilege to join you on your show, and I appreciate the welcome. Anytime. The door is open mm -hmm. for you, sir, and uh, we'll be sure to catch up uh, uh, beyond uh, next November. Thanks so much. Happy holidays. Bruce Celery, CEO of Credit Canada. You can find out what he does and some great resources and a lot for free. Tons. At, yeah. CreditCanada.com slash FLM for Financial Literacy Month or moolala.ca.